0: You are listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are in Rivoli. Cozzecine.
1: Buonasera, Daniel.
2: Baron Brian Nygaard. The Baron who's developed a taste over the last 24 hours for very modest surroundings. Um, Tonight, we are recording outside a supermarket. In a supermarket car park, effectively, after yesterday's recording at Dal Bafo Kebab Shop, now the most famous kebab shop in Tortona. We're keeping it real, Daniel. Yeah, outside the hospital where Fausto Coppi took his last breath in 1960. Brian, how are you this evening? I'm
1: really good, quite delightful. I had such a wonderful time in the last sort of day or so. I think we saw more of something.
2: Yeah. Was suspicious. What happened in the last I had, day well, or I had so a, that, I didn't,
1: that I don't know about? I had a wonderful morning in the vineyards of Bavaresco. Really made my day. Uh, I saw some good bike racing as well. There was a three buffet, sort of like, it was like the three-part rocket of the buffet of the Sala Stampa, the local cooking school the friendliest people served well-made food. Very apt. Although we were in Rivoli at the finish
2: today, we started in Bra, which, Brian, has a very special university, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. It has the Slow Food University of Italy, which is like a real institution in keeping up with local traditions and focusing on the great produce and all the the products that, that Italy is really proud of. And now, after... Alberto Grandi, you feel Alberto Grandi is watching me whenever I say something about Italian food, but they really try and, and protect the, the, the quality level of Italian food. I actually went and had a piadina this morning in a piadineria, so like It's a, slightly out of
2: context because piadina is from the Adriatic I know, coast. but
1: this was mentioned, and this is why this is relevant, was mentioned in the Slow Food Guide as one of the great places for a piadina, and it was pink. Uh, you know, obviously with the Giro starting in Bra and then like I tell you, it was a delight to eat
2: whilst should, you were working. Should our good friend Lionel Bernie ever decide to go and finally get his PhD? I can imagine him going to the Slow Food University in Bra.
1: But Brian, well, like, At least like a postdoc or something, yeah.
2: Yes. Brian, you said we saw some excellent racing. We did. We saw an exciting break, a very big break, and by most accounts, a pretty worthy winner. Uh, one of those stage winners that I think a lot of people are pretty happy about at the finish. A guy with a lot of friends in the peloton, it seems to me. But we saw at the finish, we witnessed, because you were out on the finish line with me, a lot of frustration. There were a lot of people who got in that break today and were probably delighted to get in the break, thought they had a great chance. And there were all sorts of recriminations flying around at the finish line. But we'll hear a bit more about that in a minute. Before that, as per tradition, I think you've got the tale of the tapper for us. I do.
3: It's time for the
0: tale of the tappa.
1: Off you go. Thank you, Daniel. So stage 12 of the Giro d'Italia, hundred it turned out to be actually 183, 185, excuse me. It was supposed to be 179, but it was a little bit longer than it said in the Garibaldi. From Bra to Rivoli here in Piemonte. A straightforward stage if you had a quick glance, but then as we mentioned yesterday, there was a bit of a climb. Actually, 2,400 meters of climbing in general with the Colet Brida being the real decisive climb, you'd think. So, attacks from the flag, riders getting dropped early. It was a bit of a climb to begin with. Consoni of Corfidis, Fernando Gaviria was uh, dropped quite early. A, then a huge group went up the road. 30 riders. I don't remember ever having seen that. And there were some really big hitters in there. So, I was kind of looking forward to... A, a, kind of a stage that would be written like a classic you know Mass Peterson went in there Michael Matthew Seb Kuss young star from Jumbo's World Michael Hesman Betiol Patrick Conrad probably easy to say the teams that didn't have a, a ride in the break and those teams were Ineas DSM Groupama, Ma and Team Akio didn't make the break everyone else in the Giro Peloton were represented Trek had four Israel had three Astana had three Green Project Badian had three Jumbo had two. The best place right in that mega breakaway was Patrick Conrad of Bohan's Gro. At the start of the stage, he was 16th at 8.43. There were actually six former stage winners in the breakaway. Petiol, Matthews, Peterson, Formolo, Aldani and Lucky Lorenzo Fortunato. But, um, yeah, it, it played out a little bit different than you, you'd think. Matt Peterson was in it for the points and he got the first, break, uh, first intermediate sprint in Chiaro D'alba after st- 39 kilometers of... 30, 79 kilometers racing, excuse me. So he actually got closer to the spinners jersey that Jonathan Milan still carries, now only with a 16 uh, point lead. Peterson eventually fell back and uh, I suppose his mission to accomplish was he wanted to establish the break and then take the points. With 90, around 92 kilometers to go, Daniel, a rather peculiar attack happened that meant that the breakaway of 30 turned into a smaller breakaway of four initially five was initially it? five yeah but it, it sort of that it was f- four for the rest of the day more or less it was nicky Den nico dense of um Grower, alessandro tonelli <coughs> stefan uh, sebastian berwick of israel and tom scoenix of trexig they attacked a big group and built up a lead of around three minutes They were counter several counter-attacks happening from behind but they never actually made it i'm giving something away here the main feature of the stage was the 10.7 kilometer color brighter with some rather steep section it was good terrain for attacking and thus Scoins used that for accelerating the first group <clears throat> and the final had begun Scoins and nico dance uh, and sebastian berwick went away and behind him it started to look more or less impossible to get back and the closest group from the original breakaway was actually some two minutes behind in the main group, it was eight minutes behind at this point, and it, as expected, it was up to Timinius to control the pace on the Colabrider, but nothing ultimately really happened GC-related today, more or less. It was good to see Pavel Sivakov pulling the peloton on a Colabrider, so he seems to have recovered after a very tough day yesterday. All the efforts for the riders trying to chase down the three riders in front were in vain, and it was, up, it was a three-up sprint for the stage win of stage 13. Nico Dens seemed very confident because he was basically doing all the pulling in the last uh, closing kilometers of the stage. And he took the stage win ahead of Schuens. Dents won a stage at the Tour de Suisse last year, but this was the biggest win so far for the 29-year-old German, the second German stage win of the Giro. Only small change in the GC is Patrick Conrich moving up three places, now to 13th. He is currently 4.15, after the only Welshman under 40 years old currently to wear pink to work, Garen Thomas. Brian. Can I mention one DNS from this morning,
2: Alessandro Covey, Yeah. who well, he, he was involved in the same crash that ultimately put paid to Teo Gegenhart's I think it was the first on the Yeah, Yes, he was. And he, he sort of apologised as well in an interview yesterday. Obviously, it wasn't deliberate him taking out Teo Gegenhart, but he was the inadvertent cause of Teo's problems. And Michael Sherrell, also DNF'd today, Caden Grove's DNF'd, and Harm Van Hooker, who I heard last night, well, thanks to our Italian colleagues, Gironimo, their podcast, um, he is a huge fan of Geraint Thomas, Geraint Thomas is his sporting hero, but Harm Van Hooker will not be in the peloton to see Geraint Thomas try to defend his pink jersey over the weekend. Brian, I should also just mention that overnight there were updates, weren't that from Theo Gegenhart or about Theo Gegenhart. Um I know he got a lot of wishes of a speedy recovery from all sorts of people and he was very grateful for that, but we also learned from the team that he'd sustained a fracture of his left hip, which was going to require surgery, surgery which I think now has
1: happened. Apparently it was a very long surgery at that as well, like s- several hours more or less the whole day, he was uh, b- uh, getting getting fixed. The very good news is that the team, I think, are
2: pretty optimistic. I think everyone's pretty optimistic that he will make a full recovery. That's certainly what we all hope. Brian, Nico Dens was a stage win. You talked about it being the biggest win of his career. I said that a lot of people, not only Bora grower people, but there were others as well who were... Uh, Quite mm, well delighted for him. going to hear from minus
1: the twenty six guys who didn't make
2: the winning yes. break. Well, we're going to hear from a couple of those in a minute. We're going to hear. Should we do sort of um, those who were jubilant first, and then sort of degenerate to those who were very frustrated, or should we go the other way around? Let's 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 start with the, the joyous. Let's moments. Let's start on a joyous note. We're going to hear first from Patrick Conrad the Austrian rider who was with Denz in that break and was, as you're going to hear, it was quite instrumental in him actually getting away. I don't think this was shown by the TV cameras, but the moment that they went away on a roundabout. Then we're going to hear briefly from a very disappointed Tom Screens. He was talking to Eurosport. And then finally, we're going to hear Ilan Van Vilder with some fairly colourful language, which I think one of our producers is going to bleep out, um, the Sudar Quickstep rider. And he was part of that big break as well. And Patrick, you were pretty important in that win, uh, particularly the moment that, um, that Nico went away on the roundabout. Just tell us what happened there.
4: Yeah, I never had it before. There's such a big group, uh, such a big breakaway, that uh, there was like uh, nobody wanted to pull. So uh, my question is always like, why they go in the break when they don't want to pull? So, yeah, everybody was thinking they are smart, but uh, Bora was smarter today and also... With the help from uh, Trek, uh, yeah, in the wet roundabout, uh, Nico went full in uh, with squints and uh, yeah, we left the gap and then I was controlling uh, that nobody bridges over. So yeah, that he can make it to the line and uh, it worked out perfectly.
2: And just on Nico, we know he looks like a bit of a gentle giant, we know he loves Italy. Um, What else can you tell us about him?
4: Ah, he's a super nice guy and uh, really a great team player. And I remember in 2018, uh, he was really close to a win here in the Chira, a second uh, behind Mohoric, I think. And so he really deserved his win. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean,
3: already from the beginning, it was a really big group. I knew that from that group, I would not be able to win. So uh, the plan was to go early. And uh, yeah, it was not that early, but... Suddenly we had a gap, the four of us, or five of us, then four of us. Yeah, I mean, on the climb we went as hard as we could to try and drop Nico, but uh, he hung on. Then he won the sprint.
2: Ilan, I guess you're pretty disappointed. Just tell me about the phase of the race where those three went away
3: and it seemed to, well, the the bigger bunch seemed to lose control a little bit there. Yeah, it was me against against the road, I guess. (laughs) I had the feeling that I was really alone on the road today. Well, it's typical in a group of 20 guys, a lot of teams had two, three guys, I was alone. Yeah, I tried to attack so many times, but every time I uh, get my ass up, they were in my wheel. So I just waited on the climb, and there I did my pace, and I could bridge to the chasing group, and then I won the sprint uh, on, on uh, pure frustration. So well, It was very different job today or a very different race than the one you thought you were going to have with Remco here. Just talk to me a bit about the readjustment over the last three or four days that you've had to go through. It uh, was really a difficult uh, few days for our team. We came here for uh, a goal, winning the Giro with Remco and we were in pink 45 seconds ahead and then suddenly everything uh, changes. And then uh, the day after, four more guys are out with COVID. So, so I was a, a bit depressed, I have to say. So. But today, I, I just said, <laughs> I, I go in the breakaway and I try to win a stage. But yeah, today I felt if you're alone, even with three guys, it's so, so difficult. It's already difficult with a full team, with three guys in the race, it's so difficult. So it's a nice result, but could have been more.
0: The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by Science.
5: Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast at the Giro d'Italia. We've been talking to the INEOS Grenadiers riders and one question I wanted to know the answer when speaking to Ben Swift, was what would get on the podium of his three favourite science in sport products? Because of course, taste is a very individual thing. So here is Ben Swift's top three.
6: Lately, sort of my favourite products is one of them is the the nootropics gel. I think that uh, it's just got everything in there, and you know, it's like it's got that bit of a boost as well. I like the bake bars. Not too many of them, but they're quite a nice uh, alternative to. To some of the stuff and then uh the other one is actually the cherry Rigo. i like that especially after the races it's a nice bit of uh, i like the taste of it
5: to buy your favorites whether it's the energy bars and bakes or the gels or the beta fuel which i can certainly recommend go to scienceinsport.com well brian
2: um, we heard there from Ilan Van Vilder. He was the last voice we heard. A very frustrated Ilan Van Vilder after the travails of him, well, of his team over the last few days. And the first voice we heard was Patrick Conrad, saying that Nico Denzwa well, is a great bloke, and obviously Borov were very pleased with his victory today. We were just saying earlier, weren't we, in the car, that Borov had a tricky season. Um, it's a team with a lot of good riders, and they've made this wouldn't call it a pivot, but they've sort of switched focuses a little bit over the last year or two Towards Grand Tours. Of course, they won the Giro d'Italia last year with Jai Hindley. Do you know what? There's a very strong rumor going around about Danny Martinez, the Ineos Grenadiers rider, going to Bora next oh, yeah. year. So that would strengthen them further. But a much needed win for them this year. And they've, they, in fact, they, do you know what? They won two races today because they won a race in Belgium, the uh, Circuit de Wallonie, uh, courtesy of Jordi Meus. Only their sixth win, though, of the season. Yeah. And it's a team with a. A thick, powerful roster. So I thought you was going to say checkbook. <laughs> well, that as well. <laughs> I mean, if they've got a very good roster. it Sort of presupposes that they, they are pretty well to do. Yeah. But it hasn't been a great season for one them. of the big biggest underperformance.
1: Yeah, underperformance on the on the highest level, I suppose. But also probably also very disappointing for them now with Vlasov being out of the, the Giro. This the win today was, uh, I think, very very welcome in, in internally here also in the Giro. And Brian, Nicodentz
2: is the most Italian of German riders in this Giro d'Italia. Why? Because his grandparents or his grandfather on his mother's side is from... Basilicata, where we were a few days ago, where we were chasing. Remember when we were chasing Cancellara? Yeah, of course. Go back and listen to that um, if you missed it. Um, that was the stage from Melfi to Lago or was it not? Or was yes, it, it was. the day before? No, it was that day. And um, well, we went looking for uh, Fabian Cancellara's ancestors. And Nico Denz has ancestors in Basilicata as well, because his grandfather. Is from a place called Marsico Vettere, which is also the same village as, or the same town that the Archaea rider Alessandro Verre is from. And Denz's grandfather Giovanni emigrated to Germany, the very south of Germany, close to the Swiss border, many years ago, and then about 25 years ago, came back to Italy, came back to Basilicata with a German lady who he'd since met in. Germany and um, Nico Denz he still goes down there to visit them and they were at the stage the stage from Melfi to Lago Lacino again I'm indebted to our friends at Gironimo for this information. But um, he's a he's a huge lover of Italy, this is his favourite race, he's come close to stage wins here before. And well we knew and you heard their Tom Scooins, he knew that Denz is a fast rider. I mean, you only have to look at him. He's a tall rider, he's quite a heavy rider, and he's not won a lot in his career. He's won three or four races, but he's won from small groups and he's won from relatively deep, large groups
1: as well. I mean, when, when you saw him coming into the last kilometers, it was, it was also pretty obvious that he backed himself because he took no chances. He was just basically controlling the pace. He, was, he opened the sprint and won it quite outright, quite clear. And he really won the stage on the climb, didn't he? Yeah. By hanging on on the climb. Yeah. He was at. I mean, he was hanging on by his fingernails on the Colibrí. he really was. That was impressive, and it just goes to show Daniel never give up. Yeah, and hard really to
2: criticise Scoons or Barrick for not trying something else because that was that was the opportunity. They knew it was the opportunity. Barrick's a rider who weighs fifty nine kilos, sixty kilos. He's a climber. He did all that he could, and ultimately it wasn't enough. But Brian, let's talk a little bit about that bigger break. And, well, as I said earlier, there was a lot of frustration. You saw it. There was a lot of gesturing. Ivan Van Vilde was one of the riders gesticulating at various points in the day because people were not chasing, not coming through. Uh, There was a lack of collaboration. We see this so often in professional cycling and I suppose the writing was on the wall to a certain extent when a group of that size went. If you get thirty riders down the road, it's gonna be very difficult to find any kind of collaboration. Yeah. And usually groups like that they split, often in they split in half or ten go away. But when those well, it was initially five, wasn't it, and then it became four and then it became three the, the sort of the big hitters in the initial group were marooned behind we, we thought this was a O day or a Matthews day or, or you said Mads Pedersen obviously
1: was there for the points yeah not I mean with the climb <clears throat> with the big climb it, it wasn't it wasn't really for him but a lot of big climbers mm. in that group Formolo uh, Formolo Lachlan Lorenzo uh, yeah just a, a really strong group but also I think it's was really well played by Trek. They had four riders there. They they, you know, they got the bonus seconds. Sorry, they got the points from S. Peterson But then they also, I think, they kind of they knew that they would have to send someone up their own They had four, several cards to play in that sense, you know, including Balcom Olmer, who would have been a, a good pick it was for a the stage win. stage, wasn't exactly. It? Yeah. So um, I think the the disappointment is is real in the sense that you know they saw this breakaway drifting away and they. they Probably all a lot of them were, were hoping they would wait for the climb to do the real selection but then they were just surprised by this attack. Which happened in a roundabout.
2: Yes. And Brian, no real selection in the main Peloton either, in the
1: no. G C Riders club. No, they... And Ce- that was ceasefire the... before tomorrow.
2: Yeah, that was the sort of word going around in Bra this morning, the the feeling was that we probably wouldn't see too much action. It was interesting that Jumbo Visma had two men down the road. I hope to catch up with Sepp Kurs, who was one of the Jumbo Visma riders in that group at the finish. I didn't actually see him. But, but
1: what, were your, what was your th- thinking about I, that? I think that made a lot of sense. But to think that Roglic would roglify the Kolob to take the pink jersey before the first really, really big mountain stage would also be... Why was, it, why was Kurs in particular in that break then? I think they were in the breakaway to try and win the stage. Yeah, I think I mean, also when once it, if you're a GC rider and such a big break goes, often the sports director at the meeting will say if five riders go, fine. If mm. eight riders go, have a look at the composition. If more than twelve, ten, twelve 10 12 riders go, you have to be there. Mm. So that's why they they did what they were supposed to do in that sense and then when, once you're there, I mean you might you might as well give it a go, you might mm. as well try and win the stage, but it would have been very very Uninstrumental for Roglic, if he took if he Roglified today, and took t- those two seconds, that would give him the the pink jersey, unless Karen Thomas was in real trouble. Because mm-hmm. the only thing that would give them, other than the pink jersey, which is great, they would have to work a lot more tomorrow. And being in the defending position instead of the challenging, the position of the challenger, which is way more relevant for them going into tomorrow, they 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 can now just let. Gary and Thomas defend instead of having to do it themselves. It
2: was it was a long way from the finish, wasn't it? That climb. It's interesting. Tomorrow we've got a kilometer zero coming out about it. Really sort of discusses and deals with a lot of the negativity that's been about around this Giro and asks the question of whether the whole paradigm of the Giro, meaning the course and the dates in particular when it takes place, are they need to be revised?
1: We deconstructed the Giro. We did,
2: but today was another stage which finished. Well, it finished in a valley on the plain, Rivoli is down, it's a suburb of Turin and there wasn't that much incentive for the GC riders to, well particularly the day before a big mountain stage, there wasn't that much incentive and we didn't see too much action and um, that was slightly disappointing. Brian I think we should pause at this point, we should have a cappuccino pause, Um, we should wind the clock back as we always do to around about lunchtime or just after lunchtime and it was time for me to check in with our good friend, Lionel Burnie.
5: It's past 11. Time for my cappuccino break.
0: La pausa cappuccino con Lionel Burney
5: Dopo le 11. Pronto? Hello, Daniel. Hello. How's it going, it, Lionel? Very well, Daniel. Yeah, I'm really good. I've been out on my bike this morning. Uh, very pleasant Excellent. here in the UK. And uh, I've got back, switched on the Giro, and it's... Uh, it's what i was kind of hoping for expecting the traditional transitional stage big break up the road reasonable time gap it it feels like the order the correct order of things has been restored
2: excellent excellent well yeah it feels like a bit more like a giro d'italia day today doesn't it with uh, the weather improving improving i'm not sure if that's Uh, trajectory and a trend that's going to continue over the next couple of days but it it does feel a a little bit more Giro d'Italia like it feels it always feels more Giro d'Italia like when Alberto Betio is in is in a break I don't know why Um, that's maybe a very personal (laughs) feeling I tell you what
5: the last the last few days of of brought back all sorts of memories Daniel you were in Tortona yesterday I remember when we were there and we went to Coppies Villa didn't we we stood out no that was, that was Novi Ligure that was
2: Novi Ligure oh
5: was it yeah okay ah I got getting my getting my copy places mixed up yeah. Tortona was kind of a, a it felt like a sort of 1960s town kind of faded chic Italian glory yeah it's
2: yeah, it's quite sort of grimy and there is this, there's always a, a bit of a, uh, a sort of battle for bragging rights. Bragging rights are probably the r- wrong words when you're talking about someone's death. But, you know, Tortona gets upset that they get neglected when people talk about Coppi and Novi Ligure the same and Castellanian. And, you know, everyone wants a little piece of Coppi's legacy.
5: So that was where we went to the museum, wasn't it? And we saw Francesco Moser's Our record bike. Yeah, very good day. That I remember. J- j- and of just, course,
2: j- just just one second, Lionel. We're talking about campionissimi, oh. campionissimi. You, you maybe carry on for a second. Ciao, vieni qua, <laughs> vieni qua. Siamo oh in diretta. Ah. Siamo in diretta.
5: Con
2: Lionel. Lionel al telefono. Salutalo. Ciao,
7: Lionel. Lionel. <laughs> Ciao, Ciao you. Chiro. Ciao, but I, I, oh, I, w- oh. we are live only with you or with all the listeners? I don't understand. Uh,
5: just me, but also all the listeners in a way. Ah, okay, I, I mean,
7: uh, you, I, I think that uh, <laughs> you are one of the most important <laughs> listeners, dear Lionel. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, Ciro, your, your voice puts a smile on Na, my face and yeah. I just want to say congratulations to Napoli for yeah. winning yeah. Los Scudetto. Thanks, Fantastic. thanks,
7: thanks. Now I don't know what to hope for the Champions League final because, uh, you know, Manchester City against yeah. Inter, woo. I hope that Inter is not going to win, but I think that also for you to see winning Manchester City is sad, and also for that. For that. Right.
5: Let's 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 not alienate even more of our listeners. Well, I mean, there'll could, be 50% who hate football and but, probably 85% who hate Manchester City. Before
2: we do, before we do, <laughs> one last comment on football, Lionel. I saw another good friend of ours, uh, Stefano Di Chateo outside the press room yesterday. Stefano is the press chief at the Giro d'Italia, and he left the Giro two days ago to watch Inter against Milan. His beloved. Inter, and when Jonathan Milan finished second yesterday, I said to Stefano, "Milan have lost two days in a row." I was lost two oh. days in a row, and he found that there was a there was a, a hearty chuckle from Stefano.
5: I, I gave a hearty chuckle listening to the podcast. Your descriptions of Jonathan Milan, fantastic. Uh, Brian described him as, as if it was putting a jersey on a bull in Pamplona. And I thought your description of him as a, a threshing machine being controlled by some sort of malevolent AI was very good. It made me wonder, when will you be doing the cycling podcast Daniel Friber with AI Daniel Friber? I mean, double Daniel Free, soon. but we could got, have a we virtual AI, version we of you.
2: We, have, we don't need artificial <laughs> intelligence. We've got Chira's intelligence. Um, maybe, maybe a question for Chira about Jonathan Milan, Lionel. Yeah. Uh,
5: From what's you, he, what's he like? Well, what's he like? What is Jonathan Milan like? Is he, is is Italy um, going to be, you know, sort of taken over by Milan fever?
7: Well, um, why not? Uh, we can consider him as the next big thing. Uh, for Italian cycling, at least for sprinters, because uh, we did a check. Because uh, dear Lionel, it seems that we here we are here to lose time, but we do a lot of stuff. And yesterday we checked that the last. Uh, sprinter in the Giro the last Italian sprinter in the Giro to have such a strong performance and in the case of Jonathan Milan are one victory and three second places the last one has been Giuseppe Saroni in 1980 Giuseppe Saroni considering only the sprint stages in the 1980 he won five stages and with... Attack. No, I mean at, at 22 years ah, old, okay. eh? at the same age, eh? uh, because ah. Cipollini in uh, 89, his first Giro, uh, he got a win, two second place, but then he left and uh, he went back to home. So at the same age, Italian sprinters in Giro d'Italian sprints, the reference is Saroni 43 uh, years ago. I imagine, dear listeners, and dear Lionel that I had only uh, three years old and now I'm became, becoming older and older but this is another story you
2: know, time is ticking for your time is ticking for your Gazzetta dello sport career because we know you know you're into your last two years no. now so you better yeah. get back in there and write some pieces
7: oh. before you leave us forever <laughs> we could also say in uh, um quoting a son of muse time is running out <laughs>
5: He's gone. He's gone. i think a big money move for chiro when he when he leaves la Gazzetta dello sport maybe daniel i don't know and uh, just a last couple of bits of artificial intelligence from me i did enjoy patrick lefevre's comment i'm not angry i'm disappointed almost as if he was scolding a sort of toddler um for or for for some kind of misdemeanor and well Derek G, a man after my, sort of after my own heart. I'm not really an ornithologist, but uh, my dad was a big bird watcher, travelled all over Europe uh, looking for birds. And uh, when I was a kid, you know, I was sort of dragged along to... Um, nature reserves and stuff, looking into trees and marshland. Look, you know, not really sure what I was looking at. It, it never really captured me in the same way that cycling did. Another one of uh, my dad's interests. Uh, so yeah, I'm really interested to hear about Derek G. And listener Chris Probert from Sydney has written in to suggest a nickname for Derek G. What about the loon? Because the common loon, which is mm-hmm. known in the UK as the great northern diver, mm-hmm. is the state bird of Ontario. Loon
2: l Yeah the
5: yeah, c- common loon Could be quite p- Very attractive Very yeah, attractive looking quite, bird p-
2: Could be quite pejorative um, I think we should maybe Have a daily feature We should maybe dump Larry And have a daily feature With Derek G <laughs> And we should go with The other listener suggestion It should be Have a little ditty Little intro Derek G Derek G Speaking <laughs> words of wisdom And we'd have Derek's words of wisdom Every day <laughs> wonderful
5: <laughs> my last question Daniel you, I meant to ask you a couple of days ago but events in the Giro kind of overtook us uh, you would have driven up the I think it's the E45 motorway mm. uh, the one that goes past Bologna the kind of very flat straight road but it, that is Fatty Furbo heaven I wonder if you had dropped in at Fatty Furbo for no, listeners who no don't Furbos. know what I'm talking about this no. is a this is a service station isn't it and it's the the, the food franchise that sells all sorts of things yeah sadly uh, that I like yeah, pizzas well, and, well, like, and all kinds of nice stuff.
2: Well, Lionel, when you started talking to me then about that motorway, I thought you were going to ask me about the floods in Cesena and that area where we we were at the weekend. And that area is completely underwater. People have died. There was a minute silence, in fact, um, for the victims of the floods and the terrible weather conditions this morning. So, um, yes, um, yeah, quite, quite a, a, a sobering thought that we were just there a couple of days ago.
5: Yeah, it does feel like the Giro d'Italia has kind of outrun the the even worse weather in a way. And uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned it last night, but the Formula One at uh, Imola has been cancelled, hasn't it? So yeah, clearly the the situation in Reggio Emilia is uh, absolutely terrible. And uh, well, let's hope for for better things for the Giro. It has started raining again by the looks of it on my screen. Um, They're not getting much luck, are they, with the weather?
2: No, Lionel. Um, hopefully, better news tomorrow when we check in around about lunchtime. Well, what a raucous Pausa Cappuccino that was with Chiro joining us. Brian he didn't as you as you could hear there he wasn't quite
1: sure about the technicalities of could the live a, link up. Could we do a pausa cafe sospeso <laughs> where I can also join that conversation that sounded like it an interesting one fun.
2: It was um, it was excellent fun A lot of good fun today uh, Brian mostly away from the race there was some good fun to be had in Bra this morning which is a beautiful beautiful little provincial city we mentioned it's recent tradition recent heritage as far as food is concerned i would certainly recommend a visit if you are a gastronome of any kind epicurean but there was a lot of fun great crowds um, good atmosphere great crowds um, here yeah, too yeah there were great crowds and there were great crowds in particular for one rider who we know very well and this brings me to today's installment of la Ranzando.
4: Larenzando, a postcard from Italy,
3: with Larry Warbass. Well, Larry,
2: so, sorry to, to take you away from your one-man adoring fans, your yeah. one fan club. Were you familiar with this fan club you had in Bra, in Piemonte, in Italy? Actually, him I was aware of because he always comes to Milano San Remo and after a picture every year, so he's uh, probably my most loyal fan other than my mom. Wonderful. I think we're going to have to do an interview with him. I think um, our episode today, our instalment of La Sando is going to be mainly brought to you by the Larry Warbuss fan club. Well, Brian, it's La Sando in two parts today. Because well, you heard me there almost intercepting, interrupting Larry while he was being mobbed by his fan club. His his (laughs) one-man fan club. (laughs) And that one man is Ivano Garelli. And as promised, I proceeded to find out exactly what prompted Ivano to set up the Larry Warbass fan club. And um, yeah, a little bit more about including how one might go about joining the Larry Warbass fan club. I was about to say, can we share how to sign up as a member? Well, let's hear from Ivano first. This is Ivano Garelli. Okay, Ivano, so you are, are you the only member? You're definitely the president of the Larry Warbast fan club. Um, Well, introduce yourself, first of all. Who are you? What's your full name? And what are you doing here today?
0: Yeah, I'm uh, Ivano Garelli. I live here near uh, the city of the stage Bram in uh, the province of Cuneo. Uh, I'm uh, very passionate about cycling. I live for cycling uh, since I was born. I ride and bike. I do bicycle race uh, from young till uh, under 23. I also race with uh, Vincenzo Nibali, but uh, he was uh, a little bit uh, stronger than me. Uh, then I became a sport director for local uh, team. And now I do something for uh, the local federation uh, for cycling, for support, the communication and
2: you mean to tell me that being the president of the Larry Warbass fan club is not your full-time job?
0: No, unfortunately not, but I try to make it my full job. I'm not the only member, there is also my wife and we are so passionate about Larry Warbass from his travel in when his team failed and uh, he traveled in this area. He came here We're with kinda,
2: the... With Conor Dunn?
0: Yeah, he, for the no-go tour. They come uh, here in uh, Piemonte, uh, and we contact him for supporting in some uh, part of his travel, and uh, so we became so passionate about him and uh, so we support always him uh, when he's here in Italy I know he's uh, he's a USA, USA cycling uh, cyclist so he's uh, alone here in Italy Some not not everybody oh, he's got lots of friends don't we everyone's a
2: friend of Larry but you know we look after him on the cycling podcast yeah
0: we we always look for him everybody wants Roglic Thomas uh, Cavendish uh, all the most famous and uh, cyclists uh, for the GC or uh, sprint uh, uh, classification but we are always looking for uh, Larry and he's always so kinder uh, for s- spend some time with us so
2: today wasn't the first time you've met him
0: no no i met him a lot of time i met him also this year in uh, milano sanremo always uh, after milano sanremo spend some time together uh, for uh, some talk about uh, and uh, yeah he's it's, uh, it's nice when he come uh, here near piemonte liguria north of italy we, we go from uh, have some chat with him
2: so, Ivano, I already posted a picture of you and your wonderful sign that you've made. <laughs> I mean, this alone—you must have been preparing for the student Italia for a long time because there was a lot of work that went into this. But how? Already, already, people are asking me on social media: How do we join the Larry Warbus fan club?
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> is join the Larry Wobas <laughs> club? Is uh, very much expensive. Uh, the the cost of uh, this fan club is passion. We always, if you go, uh, sea race, a bicycle race, uh, every kind of bicycle race, uh, support uh, all the, the cyclists, not only the winning, but also what uh, who is uh, uh, working for the other, or who is uh, uh, too much um, far alone from his home. You are supporting uh, cycling and Lario uh, Fun Club. <laughs>
1: All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
2: Well, Brian, I said that in tomorrow's Comments to Zero, we're going to discuss the merits of the Giro d'Italia, its future, what maybe RCS Sports should be doing to improve the offering of the Giro d'Italia. But to me, this year, and it's not just the weather, it feels like something's missing. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it until this afternoon, about five forty-five this afternoon, about quarter to six. The missing a, piece of the puzzle. When a white-haired gentleman with a magnificent moustache walked in the, into the press room in time on honoured fashion.
1: Um, the only. The, uh, can I just say that? I mean, that's, security is pretty pretty decent here at the Giro. You have to you get your accreditation scanned and. But the only person who could ever just wander, like, waltz is into the Sala Stampa without any credential whatsoever, there's only one person that can do that. Is this gentleman. Um, regular listeners, long-time listeners
2: will know who we're talking about. He's from Turin. He's not at the Giro d'Italia this year. His team is not at the Giro d'Italia because he's had to drop down to Continental Division this year. But he hopes to be back. But fortunately, today he did join us in Rivoli. This is today's Chiacchierata del Giorno, and it's with our good friend, Gianni Savio. La
4: Chiacchierata del Giorno. The wag of the day.
2: Well, what a wonderful surprise. Um, well, it's not a surprise, because I knew I would see the, the king, the prince of Turin, of Torino, today, uh, Gianni Savio. Your team's not at the Giro. We miss you a lot, Gianni. We miss... The modulo, every day we miss the formation. But you're watching the Giro. What do you think of the Giro so far?
8: Is it a a nice Giro, a bel Giro? Thank you. Um, The Giro, unfortunately, this year uh, had not uh, luck. My English is always very bad, very bad. So I try, I try to explain because... uh, the big problem of COVID uh, is not, uh, not the right Giro. Because riders uh, out for COVID, riders out for accident. Uh, it would be very interesting uh, with uh, two Ineos and, uh, and uh, Evenepol and uh, Roglic and also with Almeida. But now, just we have only, only one Ineos, Roglic and we must see for uh, Almeida. Uh,
2: Pronostico, Gianni, uh, prediction. Pronostico secco. Nome secco chi vince il giro. (laughs) Who's going to win the giro?
8: Yes, very, very difficult. uh, Because uh, because, uh, you see that uh, each day may uh, happen <laughs> not uh, always good, but also bad. So uh, cycling uh, is uh, a sport uh, um, imprevable. Unpredictable sport. Yes, yes, yes. But if, uh, if you ask me only one name, I think Roglic. Ottimo, e lode. Four marks for Gianni's English. No, I think that my English is always in five. No. Five. But uh, I have no time to study. This is the problem. So I hope I hope, uh, I hope to, to 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 be to arrive to six seven. I hope so.
1: Well, it was wonderful to see Gianni, Brian, wasn't it? Well, I, I think I also should share with our listeners that he was also very delighted to see us and you especially. I felt like it was very... And you can allow yourself that now that he, he's not a team owner actually in the Giro. So it's, it's very clear that there's a, there's a lot of warm feelings between you and Savio. Are you suggesting I might be compromised? <laughs> no, no. But I, I mean, he's, he's also really hard not to like. I mean, what a what a what a senior, what a gentleman, what a what a figure for for Italian cycling. Brian, let's look ahead, shall
2: we, to what should be a, a big weekend. I'm already calling it a weekend, although tomorrow's only Friday, but this really kicks off well the showpiece weekend, or the, the, certainly the first showpiece weekend, I would say, of this Giro d'Italia. So let's talk in just a moment about tomorrow's stage, and as we always do, we'll talk before that about. What happened last night?
3: La tappa di domani e la cena di ieri. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner.
2: Brian, last night's dinner, best of the Giro so far, wasn't it? Maria yeah, Rosa. absolutely.
1: And stage winner. It's it's kind of it felt like coming to your house last night because it was a, it was a place that that you have, I believe have stayed before during yeah, the Giro in ristorante
2: Rabaya in
1: Barbaresco. And uh, yeah, Rabaya famously for wine connoisseurs it's one of the most um, significant prized vineyards in barbaresco next to asili which was just down the road from where we stayed and we had the most delightful menu and i i never actually seen you pick the entire menu but everything just fell into place and there were all things that you liked
2: outstanding we can recommend it um, 40, it was a 40 euro tasting menu wasn't yeah it was, which was very we good should value. upload the menu and, and extremely good value and we had some nice wine, didn't we, Brian? We certainly did. We had some lovely wine. We had some lovely um, local wine. You were let off the leash a little bit. Brian, tomorrow we're going to Switzerland, um, talking, of things, say, <laughs> talking <laughs> of things that you love. Only you can say that with <laughs> such a uplifting like voice. Talking of things you love which reminds me, we've been contacted by a listener who's very kindly promised to deliver me some Rivella Blue, which is a Swiss soft drink, and the stage to Monte Bondone. I'm going to take him up on that offer. But um, Brian, tell us about our trip to Switzerland tomorrow, which is huge for the Giro d'Italia. It's going to be very significant.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, when you look at the Garibaldi, the official race book, they rank the stages from uh, in a five-star system. Tomorrow is a five-star stage, Daniel. So it's from Borgo Franco di Vrea, in Piemonte to Carmontana in Switzerland. It's a mountain stage defined by three big climbs. One of them has been modified, and that's the first one. It's the San Bernardino, uh, which was supposed to be... The, orig- the original version of the race course was going over the... which was the Tumacopi, so the highest climb in the Geo, the Grand Saint-Bernard. And uh, instead, the riders will go the same way as we will eventually, through the tunnel. It's still a climb. It's not... I mean, there's no... It, it obviously takes off some climbing meters but it's definitely still an uphill climb after that the very difficult uh Croix de Coeur and then it finishes in the, the final climb up to Carmontana 13.1 kilometers at 7.2 average gradient it's a big stage, it's a lot of climbing We're, I'm very curious to see what the weather will be like um, this first real altitude um, test of of the of the favourites and I'll be curious to see also how many actually make it to come Montana to finish the stage.
2: And Brian, the route has already been changed. We're going through the tunnel, or the race is going through the tunnel, which is at about 1,800 metres on the Grand Saint-Bernard. We were contacted today by a listener, an avid listener. His name's Dan Keeley. He's an ultra runner. And Brian, Dan is currently running from London to the Colosseum in Rome. Why is he doing this? Because in 2017... Um, Dan ran the other way from the Colosseum to London he was celebrating his recovery from a, a bipolar episode which took place in Italy and he was he wanted to raise money, raise awareness um, about bi- bipolar disorder so he successfully ran from the Coliseum to London in 65 days in 2017 this year he wanted to run the other way and he called the initiative Home to Rome, he set off on the 29th of April from the London Eye he needed to do around 50 kilometers a day or just slightly more than 50 kilometers a day to make it. And if you want to find out more about Dan's journey, you can do so and maybe even donate to the causes that he's running for on www.hometorome.run. And Dan sent us a voice message today about the conditions because he's just... just Like an eyewitness report. Yeah, I think it was yesterday he crossed the Grand Saint Bernard. So this is what Dan saw, what he told us. So he did what the peloton won't? The other way.
6: What's up everybody, how are we doing? It's Dan here. Uh, From somebody who's uh, gone over the great Saint Bernard Pass on foot over the past 48 hours, as part of my little jog from London to Rome, uh, I can tell you that it was absolutely the right call to send the riders through the tunnel this year. Uh, To really paint the picture, um, I'm not the tallest guy in the world and when I was at the top, uh, the snow levels above my shoulders must have been another four or five feet. Above me, um, and even even at road level, they haven't got to the point of clearing uh, even the road yet, uh, right at the top. Uh, so it's dramatic and beautiful as it is up there. It's absolutely the right call to keep everybody safe. Uh, so there we go. That's your live report from somebody who's uh, been there and done it over the past 48 hours. So to everybody involved this year, to Jaren and everyone, uh, go get them. It's been an amazing tour, full of drama. Absolutely loving the podcast, and uh, best wishes to everybody out there on their bikes this summer. Go get them.
2: Brian, I've got a story about the Grand Saint-Bernard as well. Um, in, when was it? Nine, no, 2003. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I trekked across the Alps with my good friend Danilo. as when, when, a celebration for graduating from university. And on the Grand Saint-Bernard, there is a hospice where the Grand Saint-Bernard dogs are trained. Um, So the San Bernard dogs, you know, the ones with the... Yeah, the rescue dogs. Yes, the rescue dogs. And in order to sleep there, it's sort of a refuge that... um, I I presume this is still the case where sort of hikers can sleep and we needed to sleep there. We had no other options. And we were climbing from Aosta and we got to around... So that's the same way we're doing tomorrow. We got to... Danilo and I got to around 1,800 metres and it was getting dark and we were starting to panic and we hitchhiked to the top. However, when we got to the top and asked whether we could sleep there, they told us you, you were only allowed to sleep there if you walked all the way. And we had not done that. But I can tell—I can reveal exclusively on the cycling podcast tonight—you <laughs> told a lie. We lied,
1: and we slept there. <laughs> Finally, there's some kind of reckoning here, Daniel. <laughs> I've, I, I appreciate your honesty with this. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm, and quite I'm sure the myself. listeners do
2: as well. I'm quite ashamed of myself. Brian, we'll talk a, m- a little bit more about tomorrow's stage in just a minute, but let's hear from someone who we haven't spoken much about in this Giro d'Italia, and who could be very prominent tomorrow.
5: Mister Wolf Fiction.
2: Very short clip there, Brian. We heard from Damiano Caruso, currently fifth in the Giro d'Italia, and he said this morning to our good friends at geronimo that he's the mr wolf in the pulp fiction that is
1: this giro d'italia mr wolf do you yeah, are yeah, you, yeah. It's you, a very, you can tell the listeners yeah it's mr. a key wolf scene in, in in pulp fiction where the two gangsters uh by accident they actually they they take someone hostage and they ended up they end up shooting them in there's a bump in the road and a, a gun goes off and it makes the right mess in the car they can't really drive away from that part of Los Angeles without being seen. And there's all kinds of events going on in their backseat. So they drive to one of the suburbs and uh, because they call Mr. Wolf. And Mr. Wolf is a guy who can fix any kind of problem. And he puts them to work. They do all the cleaning and they, everything is safe. They end up actually demolishing the car. And uh, yeah, Mr. Wolf, is the role is played by Harvey Cartel, who is, uh, I think, more or less during the entire scene is wearing a tuxedo. So,
2: if so the, I mean, who Damiana doesn't want to cr- be Mr. Wolf? Look out for Dam- Damiano Caruso climbing the Grand Samba in Ankara, Montana in a tuxedo tomorrow. Um, but I think he was referring to the fact that, well, his team's had problems. Jack Hay crashed today. He um, certainly did, yeah. And Jack Haig was actually the leader of the team, the nominal leader of the team. We heard that at the start of the race in Pescara or in Ortona. But Caruso finds himself fifth on GC, one minute and twenty-eight seconds down, and he now becomes well he becomes a podium contender. Of course he's got Lechnison in fourth that he has to sort of vault over before he gets into the, the mix for the, the podium. But I also jersey. think
1: it's it's we should pay him a lot more respect because we we constantly talk about Italy not producing any GC hopes and there's not sort of like a flagship rider. There's not an important figure of Italian cycling. Caruso was was second in the Giro a couple of years ago when, when Bernal won. And he was a very active rider. He was one of the strongest riders in the last week. I think he deserves, uh, I mean, I'm sure the, his competitors are very aware of his abilities, but he's flown on the radar and that's probably not a bad thing when you look at the the Giro so far. Very interesting. Very curious to see what he'll be up to this weekend. Brian, what are we going to see tomorrow?
2: In your mind's eye, when you think about tomorrow's stage what's the scenario particularly on that penultimate climb which we heard i mean we've heard from our friend uh the former uci what was his position brian he was very he was the to like he was
1: the he was the head of the coordination of the licenses for the pro tour it was called back then Alain and, and alan
2: now well he's lived all his life i think in that area and he rides these climbs uh, regularly good bike rider yeah and he's warned us that the penultimate climb is very tough and that i think descent is tough as well yeah. so from Let's take it from there. I don't think too much is going to happen well, on the I, ground. San bernard No. What do we? What, what? What? do you expect?
1: I mean, there will be. There's a massive chance that a breakaway will go, but I think there's, there's going to be a huge GC selection on the on the second last climb, called the Croix.
2: Who's going to lead? Which team is going to set the tempo? The okay.
1: only team that really can lead, I think, will be Ineos. I think Jumbo would be happy to let them. They still have some really good domestics to protect the jersey. But i think the, the selection will that will be very hard on on the second last climb and i think there'll be a fairly select group coming into the last climb maybe not more than 20 riders if if it's i mean there's that's also a wishful thinking maybe but i would like to see that kind of snow like a real the first real gc because Gran sasso was mm. I mean, it, it hardly looked like a bike race mm. from a GC perspective. So I'm, I'm looking forward to Could them be. overcompensating tomorrow. It's going to be cold.
2: Uh, those descents are going to be particularly cold tomorrow. I'm just looking at the weather forecast in Caen Montana. The weather, well, at the moment, it's seven degrees, supposedly. I mean, Caen Montana uh, on the descents, it's going to feel a lot colder than that. Brian, I think we might see quite a cagey affair tomorrow on the final climb. I I wonder whether someone might come from a little bit sort of behind the the front line of the GC battle. I'm thinking about maybe a Thibaut Pino who's been ill, of course, but I spoke to his brother Julian this morning and he said that Tebow's improving and he enjoys cold conditions. He's always raced well in that part of Switzerland, in Romandie. He's always certainly doesn't like the heat. No, and he's had great results in the Tour de Romandie in the past. So um, maybe as an outside bet, I would say Thibaut Pino.
1: Brian, we're off to Ivrea. Um, Home of the Olivetti typewriter. Yes. We're staying at the same hotel as we did last we year, did. I believe.
2: We did. We regaled our listeners, I think, with stories about Olivetti last year. Maybe we'll do that again tomorrow. But in the meantime, I think that's about it for this evening. Brian, it's been a pleasure as always. And we'll be back from Cormontana, Switzerland. And you'll have a big smile on your face because you just love the Swiss and everything about that country um, tomorrow. You're lying
1: again, though, Daniel. <laughs> Is that a thing that happens to you when you come into Switzerland? Buonasera.
4: Buonasera. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Byrne.